Well, church, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. There's a theologian from Croatia named Miroslav Volf who used to completely reject the concept of God's wrath. He just didn't, didn't want to hear about it, couldn't, couldn't accept it, thought the idea of God being wrathful or angry was a very primitive, barbaric, maybe even uneducated way of, th- of thinking about God. He essentially thought that that wrath was an unworthy concept of God. And maybe some of you have thought this way as well in the past. Maybe some of you are thinking this right now. Maybe some of you heard that scripture reading and you were just hoping that I will do some fancy theological footwork to explain away God's wrath. But church, hear me, because this, this will be important for us as we continue through Romans, and really as you continue throughout your whole life, and hopefully you are always a lifelong student of God's Word, if you ever come across something in the Bible you have a problem with, the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. And there have been plenty of things I have read in God's Word that I at first have had a problem with. And it sometimes has taken years for God to show me and to patiently teach me just how glorious and sweet some of these truths are that I initially had such a problem with. And he's still teaching me. He's been teaching me this week. He's teaching me this morning, even as I get to look into your faces and and preach this truth about God. And so let's just admit from the beginning that there are some things we read about God and we initially have a problem with. Because I imagine that this concept of the wrath of God might be one of those things for you. But I plead with you this morning to not reject the uncomfortable things about God but instead attempt to, by faith, submit yourselves to the uncomfortable things of God and trust that He is good and that these things will taste sweet in His timing. And we we are picking up Romans 1, and, and we're in verse 18 this morning. We've just come out of two of the most glorious and central verses to all the book of Romans and maybe the entire Bible where we learned that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Which means that in the gospel, God reveals to us how to have a right standing with him. But here's a question that we need to ask ourselves as we're starting out this morning. And that question is, why is the good news even necessary? Why is the gospel necessary? Why did how to be right with God even need to be revealed? And here's where if you stop at verse 17, or if you have gone to a church that only stops at verse 17 or if you went to a youth group that stopped at verse 17, then you got preached a gospel that sounded nice, 
but not a gospel that was absolutely necessary for your life and for our world. Because what follows in verse 18 is the reason why the good news of Jesus is necessary. If you stop at verse 17, the gospel sounds nice. You keep reading through all of chapter 1, and you see just how necessary it is. Church, the gospel is not just nice news. It is absolutely necessary news. And why can I say that? I can say that because of verse 18. Paul writes, Romans 1, 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now one of the reasons we have a problem with God's wrath is because we think of it in human terms. When we think of wrath, it, it conjures up images to us of a, maybe an angry or abusive father who lashes out at his family. We maybe think of a wrathful person as being someone who's, who's allowed their emotions to get out of control and their emotions actually control them and drive them. We maybe think and, 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 and picture an angry deity just throwing down lightning bolts at people. And that picture of wrath is not what Paul is trying to convey to the Romans and to us. Now, Paul originally wrote this letter in Greek, and in Greek there are two main words that were commonly used for anger or for wrath. Uh, the first word is themos. And this is a word that is used to describe a type of anger that is impulsive. It describes a red-hot anger, an anger that just overcomes people and controls them, and they, they lash out in rage and wrath. Now, it's important to note that, that themos is not the word Paul uses here for wrath. The other word for anger or wrath that is commonly used in Greek is the word orge, which is a word that signifies a settled and abiding wrath. And that is the word that Paul uses here for wrath. And so here is maybe a, a helpful definition of God's wrath we'll put up on the screen about how we uh, see the Bible teaching about God's wrath and we'll leave this up on the screen if you want to jot it down. God's wrath is his settled opposition to, displeasure with, and righteous anger against sin. Right? His settled opposition to, displeasure with, and righteous anger against sin. God does not lose control of his anger and wrath. He does not lash out. He is not, you know, on this roller coaster, you know, is today he going to be wrathful or not? He has a settled opposition to, displeasure with, and righteous anger against sin. And when we read of God's wrath and God's word, we see that throughout the Bible it is spoken of as both a present and a future reality. The Bible in many places does speak of a coming judgment when the wrath of God will be poured out. Paul's going to teach us this in chapter 2, in Romans 2, verse 5. Romans 2, verse 5. 
He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What a frightening picture here. A frightening image of wrath being stored up for those who Paul is starting to expose their self-righteousness to in chapter 2. He says they are storing up wrath for themselves. And that there is going to be a day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be unleashed on sin. And what a, what a frightening day that will be. There is a day of wrath coming. And he says some of you, because of your hard hearts, are storing up wrath for yourself. That will be unleashed on you on the day of wrath that is to come. And so the first reason that understanding the wrath of God is so important for us is because the wrath of God shows us the necessity of believing and sharing the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel, believing the gospel, living in light of the gospel are so necessary, church, because there is a day of wrath coming. And wrath is being stored up for some. This is a, a, a future reality that we know exists, that God's word tells us there is a day of wrath coming. How necessary it is to believe and share the gospel. But not only is a day of wrath coming, not only is it a future reality, Paul teaches us here in Romans 1 that God's wrath is not just in the future, it is actually also a present day reality. He says in Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. That's present tense. Not will be revealed, not was revealed, is revealed. This is happening right now. And who is the wrath being revealed against? He says in verse 18, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness is a word getting at humanity's disregard of God. Right? It's describing human beings who have removed God from the equation. This is describing the person who, who lives without any regard to God. You see, it is possible to be a nice person. It is possible to be a good citizen. It is possible to be a good worker and to be a godless person who shows no regard to God, no fear of the Lord. And for those that live with no regard for God, if that's you, if that's your family or friends, Paul says they are under the wrath of God right now. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Unrighteousness is a word describing essentially doing things that are not right, things that are unjust. 
And, and we've all, we all know we've done things that are not right. By chapter 3, Paul will have, have prosecuted all of us and shown us that none are righteous. No, not one. God's wrath, his settled opposition to, his displeasure with, and righteous anger against sin is right now being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is it's a bit of a heavier morning if you haven't picked up on the tone. But let's pause for a second and let's ask, how can this be true? And God still be a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy that we see all throughout the Scripture. I mean, how can this be worthy of the God that we know all throughout His Word and all throughout our lives? And you remember that theologian from Croatia that I mentioned at the beginning. Well, you see, he did initially reject the concept of God's wrath. That is until war broke out in his country. And this is what he writes. He says, My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed, and over 3 million were displaced. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out, some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry. You see, the opposite of God's wrath is not God's love. That's where our, our thinking gets off. If we, we, if we want to think of those as being two opposite things, those are not two opposite things. It's not as if it's either God is love or God is wrath. No, the opposite of God's wrath would actually be for him to be indifferent towards sin. And how would you feel about God having a neutral stance towards evil? I mean, can you imagine a father standing by while some other man commits crimes against his son and the father just being indifferent and not really caring? Would we say that that father is love? Is that a father you would want? But what if that father instead rose up in wrath and he opposed the unrighteous man and protected his son? Wouldn't that righteous anger be justified? Wouldn't his wrath, in fact, be a way of expressing his love for his son? You see, the ignoring of God's wrath is really only a luxury Christians living in comfort have had. But if persecution comes and you find yourself imprisoned for Christ and you find yourself watching loved ones tortured for Christ, 
this doctrine of God's wrath will become sweet to you in those moments. Because you will know that God is not indifferent to the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He does not have a neutral stance towards the workings of evil in our world. No, he opposes it. He is displeased with it. And his righteous anger will be poured out on it. He's not a God who doesn't care about the evil that has been committed against you. He's not a God who doesn't care about all the evil that is happening right now throughout the world. You see, God is not wrathful in spite of him also being a God of love. No, God is wrathful because God is love, you see. And so the second reason that understanding the wrath of God is important is because the wrath of God comforts us as we encounter evil in the world. We who have lived in relative comfort as Christians are really the only ones tempted to ignore this doctrine of God. But unfortunately, as a result of ignoring it for a couple of generations, we are now incredibly fearful of the wrath of the evil one. We are incredibly fearful of the wrath of man. All because we have forgotten or have never been taught of the wrath of God. This is a doctrine Christians need undergoing persecution. To not fear those that can only kill the body, but to fear the one who can destroy body and soul in hell. It's ironic that this truth about God that makes Christians living in comfort uncomfortable is in fact a comforting truth to those suffering for Christ. God is not indifferent towards sin. Now we maybe like the illustration of God being a good loving father who is wrathful towards the unrighteous man who commits crimes against his son. Maybe you're following with that, kind of can see that a little bit. And we, we like it probably in general. I mean, maybe some of you didn't, but you know, I think in general we, we kind of like that. Okay, I can see that. And I think we all like that illustration until we realize we are the unrighteous man committing the crime. We have all committed cosmic treason against the Son of God. We have worshipped and served creation rather than our creator. We, as the human race, put the Son of God up on a cross. We've all been ungodly and unrighteous, haven't we? And in John 3, 36, God's Word says, Whoever believes in the Son, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. 
Whoever does not trust and obey Jesus Christ, God's word says, the wrath of God remains on him. Why? Because we have all worshipped and served creation instead of our creator. Look back at verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This word for suppressing is really getting at the idea of holding something down. I mean, picture yourself swimming in a pool with a beach ball. It's you trying to hold the beach ball underwater. And you're trying to hold it down. It just keeps kind of coming to the surface. And this is what it's like to try to live with no regard to God and his ways. It's like wrestling and struggling to keep the truth held down. We suppress the truth. And why can Paul say that humanity has the truth to begin with, to suppress? Well, because of verse 19. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. While people might not know the gospel of Jesus Christ unless someone proclaims it to them, there is a way that God has been proclaiming to them And that is through his creation. This is what's been called general revelation, right? Through the vastness of the solar system and the galaxies down to the complexities of the cell, creation proclaims that there is a creator. Kepler, who was the the father of modern-day astronomy, one of the first to describe the laws of planetary motion, once said that the undevout astronomer is mad, Like, you can, you can do it, but it's, it's there, and it's going to take a lot of suppressing the truth to try to see past this. Paul says God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in his creation. Humanity is without excuse. But if God is, is denied if he is not worshipped and honored and thanked for who he is and what he has done, then what we see is that humanity spirals more and more into darkness and perversions in life, which we will see how this plays out even more in the next sermon as we finish Romans chapter 1. We see humanity spiraling into darkness and more and more perversions. Verse 21, For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let's stop just for a second. Doesn't this give us a little more compassion instead of frustration towards those who are not following the Lord, right? It's not that they are not smart. It's not that they even have always even had bad intentions. It's that by rejecting God, they have spiraled into darkness. They, they think they are wise, but they are actually fools. Should stir in us, I think, a little bit more compassion instead of frustration. But here's the scariest part. It comes in verse 24. 
And he says, therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, the Romans who Paul is writing to lived in a city that had many temples and many statues and idols that they would bow down to and worship instead of worshiping the one true God who created heaven and earth. People would then also have household gods as well that they would keep in their homes, little statues and figurines that they'd worship and pray to and serve. And so you see this spiraling down, this darkening of people's understanding and right thinking when they reject the one true God, when they suppress and hold down the truth of the one true God, they end up worshiping demons. They end up worshiping created beings. They end up putting their hope in little statues that look like people and animals and reptiles. And we in you know, modern day can think, wow, how silly and foolish and uneducated these people must be. And yet our city and our culture has its own little gods and idols we serve as well. You see, we were created to worship. It's not whether we will worship, it's which God will we worship. Idolatry is not just an ancient problem. It is not just a problem for those who go and actually bow down to statues. Idolatry is happening any time we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve creation rather than creator. That's idolatry. Worshiping and serving creation rather than the creator. And so for you, maybe it looks like worshiping and serving Wealth and possessions. Maybe your life is all about finding meaning and worth through acquiring more stuff, serving your possessions instead of serving your creator. And by doing so, you are participating in idolatry. And maybe for you, instead of worshiping and serving God, you worship and serve the idol of comfort. And if anything makes you uncomfortable, even if it's a doctrine about God, you'll just kind of cut it out of your life. Label it as toxic and just remove it. You wake up every day pouring all your energy into serving this idol of comfort. You find meaning and worth and rest when you seek and find comfort. Maybe instead of worshiping and serving God, you've been worshiping and serving a certain image that you want to have. And so your life is all determined by looking a certain way, knowing a certain amount, or doing whatever is necessary to appear to others how you want to appear. And so instead of worshiping and serving the Creator, you've settled for worshiping and serving yourself. You see, whatever your heart clings to and relies on, besides its Creator, has become an idol in your heart. Whatever your heart clings to and relies on besides its creator has become an idol. 
And so I don't know exactly what it has been for you, but all of us, apart from Christ, have worshipped and served creation rather than our Creator. And by doing so, we rightfully deserve to be under the wrath of God. And yes, the wrath of God is a future reality. There is going to be a day of wrath, but there is also a present reality of God's wrath. And typically, it's not, it doesn't look like lightning bolts being thrown down from heaven, right? However, there are some people who have been struck by lightning. There are some people who have been struck by lightning multiple times, all right? And I think they should do a heart check or something, because that's concerning. But no, it typically doesn't look like that in the present-day reality of God's wrath. Paul tells us in verse 24 what oftentimes present-day wrath looks like. And he says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. You see, the way that God many times is revealing His wrath is by Him giving people over to their sinful desires. And oh, what a frightening place to be, church, when God gives you over to the sin you are pursuing, when God gives you the sin you want. C.S. Lewis, he once wrote this. He said, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. And I've titled this morning's sermon, When God Gives Up. Because for those who suppress the truth, for those who fight with all their might to hold the truth down, for those worshiping and serving creation rather than creator, there comes a time when God gives us up to what we want in our sin. But listen to this. Even in that wrath, even in that being handed over to what we want, the grace of God is still at work. Because what has been so many of our stories and testimonies, it's that we pursued what we wanted through worshiping and serving creation, but we found it to be empty. And our hearts still needed something more. We found that in our pursuit of creation, it actually came, that actually, that whole pursuit actually came from a longing for our Creator. And so a third reason that understanding the wrath of God is important is because the wrath of God encourages us to turn from idols to instead worship and serve the true and living God. These idols never satisfy the longing of our hearts, do they? We are always left wanting more. Our hearts continue to be restless, like Augustine said, until they find their rest in God. And it is the grace of God's present wrath that saves many from experiencing his future wrath. It is the grace of God's present wrath that saves many from experiencing his future wrath.
For we all knew he was there through his general revelation, but we didn't know how to have a right relationship with him until we heard the gospel. And this is why the gospel is necessary, church. For the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners. And we weren't just saved from our loneliness. We weren't just saved from our lostness. We weren't just saved from uh, maybe low self-esteem. I don't know, whatever's getting preached that we're being saved from. We were saved from worshiping idols. And we were saved from the wrath of God. (laughs) This is a great salvation. This is not just a nice gospel. This is a necessary gospel, church. We were saved from worshiping idols, and we were saved from the wrath of God. We were sinners. We were idolaters. We served creation instead of creation, and God's wrath was rightly upon us. God's wrath was rightly being stored up for us. God had every right to give us completely over to our sin. But God, in his mercy and grace, he decided that one day he would give himself up for us. You see, when we live in sin, when we worship idols, when our hearts are darkened and we can't really, you know, we can't start, we start to believe this lie as we're living in darkness, we start to believe this lie that God has given up on us. Have you ever listened to that lie before? Have you ever heard yourself speak that lie to yourself before? God has given up on you. It's a lie. We are about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is a meal that we celebrate regularly here to proclaim that for those whose faith is in Christ, God has not given up on you. God has not given us over to our sin, but God has given himself up for us. For you see, everyone's sin, everyone's sin has a day when God's wrath will be poured out on it. Everyone's sin, everyone's idolatry has a day when God's righteous anger will come upon it. And this is why the gospel is necessary. This is why the gospel is powerful. This is why we must live by faith in Christ, church. Because for those who put their trust in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that day of wrath is no longer in your future. It is in your past. For Jesus Christ came and lived the life of obedience we have failed to live. At every point of temptation, he chose to worship and serve creator God instead of creation. He then went to the cross and gathered up all the sin of his people throughout all of history. And he gathered up all the righteous wrath of God that had been stored up for our sin. And he allowed it to be completely poured out on himself. And three days later, he rose from the dead in a declaration that he was who he said he was and showing us that the Father's wrath was satisfied for the sins of his people. You see, we need not struggle in our understanding of God's wrath and God's love for the cross brings these two things into clear view. 
at the cross, that was the greatest display of God's wrath and God's love at the same time in the history of the world. And so the fourth and final reason, at least for this morning, that the understanding of God's wrath is important is because the wrath of God reveals to us more fully just how great the love of God is. We've seen this morning, hopefully, the doctrine of the wrath of God starting to maybe become a little sweeter to us. I know there are some Christians, there are even some denominations, they get really psyched about God's wrath because they are in themselves angry and wrathful people. (laughs) May that not be us, church. You should not be able to talk about the wrath of God and people being under the wrath of God without your heart breaking in the process. This is not an easy, this should never be an easy doctrine to talk about. But this is a doctrine that can become sweeter to us because the wrath of God shows us the necessity of believing and sharing the gospel. The necessity of of going to our neighbors and to the nations, which we're going to hear here in a few minutes from Joni and Zeke going to El Salvador. The wrath of God shows us the necessity of believing and sharing the gospel. The wrath of God then secondly comforts us as we encounter evil in the world. The wrath of God encourages us to turn from idols to instead worship and serve the true and living God. And certainly God's grace is working in this present day wrath to save us from the future wrath to come. And finally, the wrath of God reveals to us more fully just how great the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ is. If you are one that has been hearing these words, you are blessed to have this gospel message hit your ears and heart this morning. Know that God has not given up on you. He continues to proclaim to you of his grace and his mercy and his love. He wants you to know and believe and live in light of the glorious truth that he has given himself up for you. Whatever part of creation you've been clinging to and relying upon, let it go this morning. Confess it to God. Turn from it. Cling to Christ and enjoy the faith and forgiveness he gives. And so I'm going to pray for us.